Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Thank you, June and musicians. Thank you, Colin, for your words. It's a joy to be together this morning and to worship and to gather across our homes, across neighborhoods, across the area. And I am so excited about this next season for us as a church, the world. And there are obviously so many things that have gone on that are going on. And we live in an unprecedented time that we as followers of Jesus in this day get to put the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ on display in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our world. And I'm excited for this new series, as Colin mentioned, titled Unveiled Faces. And what we're going to be talking about over the next three weeks is something that we all long for, something that is deep, deep inside of our human condition. It's a desire to change. It's a desire to change. We know deep down that we're not who we ought to be, that there are things about our life, that there are uh, areas of our life, there's mindsets, there's behavior patterns, there's attitudes, there's addictions, there's the ways that we respond under stress, there's ways that we don't respond at all that we would prefer were different about us. And you know this to be true because you can just ask the people who are closest to you, your roommates, your spouse, your children, those who love you the most, who are around you the most, and say, are there things about that person, are there things about him or things about her that you wish were different? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. You can just ask Katie and my kids about me. And you feel deep down, this isn't how I ought to be. This isn't me. This is not how I was designed to be. There are things in our lives that we wish were different about ourselves. Uh, Last week, a friend of ours uh, offered us uh, to stay at their condo in Ocean City for the week, which was such a gift to be there. I've used my vacation days up for the year, and so it was going to be a work week and a vacation week, and trying to do those things together, as many of you know, are a disaster. And we know this because in this last season of COVID, where many of us were in quarantine, we were trying to work and tend to family and relax and rest and do all these things together. And it's hard because you can't really fully be on vacation and resting even as you're fully trying to focus on the work before you. And so it didn't really end up being either of those for us. The problem is that that wasn't just a problem for last week in August of 2020 for Joey and his family. It's that it was a problem in August of 2019, and it was a problem in August of 2018, and it was a problem in 2017 and 2016. In fact, probably as far back as Katie knows me and people know me, that this is one of the things that I continually struggle with that I wish was different about me, that I'm in a process, that Jesus has me in a process of transforming me, And that is that I consider myself a work addict. And that's hard to say here in, in, you know, publicly to the church, but it's it's a real struggle. I have a hard time stopping work. I have a hard time resting. I have a hard time 
taking Sabbath. Katie and I were just talking about this this last week after Ocean City. The question for Joey these next three weeks, the question for you these next three weeks is, is that area of your life that needs development, is that area of sin in your life that needs to be worked out, is it possible for you to ever be transformed? Is change actually possible? Can we actually change? And we talk a lot about transformation as our core vision, a kind of transformation that flows out of the person of Jesus and his love and his work on the cross and the power of his resurrection in our lives. And what does this journey, what does this process of transformation actually look like? And so the next three weeks, what we're going to discover in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it's a beautiful little microcosm. It's a little beautiful little summation of what the entire scripture is continually singing out. And that is to say, for the human condition, change is actually possible. There is a power that's not inside of you unto yourself that, that can change you. And that's good news for us. And so we're going to be looking at how do we meaningfully, lastingly change? How does that practically play out in the process of our church as we step in to discipling and discipleship with one another in smaller bands and smaller groups of men and women across our church? Because the world has changed. And we believe as a team, as we've been praying, that in this next year, over the next year, we want to elevate discipling and discipleship. And part of discipleship is our formation. And discipleship happens in a lot of ways, but we're going to be talking about the next three weeks. How can that happen on a micro level with a handful of of friends, a handful of believers alongside of you? And it's so important because it's harder to gather in big groups these days. As you're watching online, you know this because, um, you know, you're unable perhaps to join us on the field on Saturday nights. And so we're going to be looking practically at how that plays out. But there's a process. There's a really clear process that's laid out here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to read, uh, we're going to be looking and focusing on verse 18 over the next three weeks, but for this morning I want to read verses 12 through 18 because it gives us a little background and context. There's uh, this week and today we're going to talk about what it means to to unveil, what it means to be unveiled, what it means to uh, become naked, um, to be vulnerable. Uh, to, to put it out there, um, to, to be honest and transparent about our sin and our struggles. Uh, next week, David's going to be talking about what it means to behold the glory of the Lord. And then the last week, I'm going to be talking about actually uh, what does the transformation process look like. And we're going to be weaving that in week by week. But the first step is uh, un- being unveiled, becoming naked. So let me read this passage to you, and then we're going to dive into it together. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Since we have such a hope... We are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And this is the Word of God. 
The background to this passage throws us back to Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. You may be familiar with the passage. Moses has gone uh, up to spend time with the Lord to get the tablets. He's coming down from Mount Sinai. His face is glowing. It's radiating. It has glory all over it because he's been meeting with the Lord. And he comes down into the presence of the people and he puts a veil over his face. He puts a veil over his face. And you ask the question, well, why would Moses do this? And the sermon that you may have heard at some point is because he had so much glory and radiation from his face that he wanted to uh, veil that from the people because the passage actually does say the people were afraid. But it's very interesting how Scripture interprets Scripture. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 here, what we find is actually that's not the reason why Moses veiled his face. We find the reason why Moses veiled his face in verse 13. It says he would put a veil over his face. Here's why. So that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Now, what does that mean? Moses would veil his face, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, interpreting Exodus chapter 34. So Israel wouldn't see that the old covenant was fading, that the law was actually a temporary thing, that it was actually incomplete, that it would be brought to an end and replaced with a far superior new covenant that God would usher into the world in the person of Jesus. When the glory showed up on Moses' face, after meeting with God, it showed up because it was in regards to the precious law, which is the point Paul is making in this entire passage. And what Moses did not want them to see is that behind the veil, the glory was fading. The glory of the law was fading. In itself, it would be brought to an end. He wanted them to think of it as something of permanence. He didn't want them to know that it faded He didn't want them to know that it was temporary. He was trying to help him, trying to help them. He thought the veil would be a blessing and a good thing. And yet, the irony in verse 4, 14, is we find that their minds, because of this, were hardened. And Paul even goes on to say, For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Instead of helping, it did the opposite. It hurt. It caused their hearts to be hardened. It caused them not to see the truth about the old covenant, that it's actually pointing, and it's there to point us to something far superior. It hardened them. It inhibited them. It blinded them from seeing a new, better, lasting thing that Jesus and God God through Christ would usher into the world. And he says so much that when this law is read, when the old covenant is read to to this day in Paul's day in the first century, the heart of the nation of Israel was hardened. You see, Israel not seeing the incompleteness of the old covenant perpetuated a myth that the law actually had the power to change them permanently when it didn't. And you might say, oh, those stupid Israelites... How naive, how childish. Do they really think the glory wouldn't fade off of Moses' face? Or maybe they just weren't willing to be honest about it. 
and maybe you aren't either. You see, we all have veils. We all have veils. We all find some mechanism in life that we use to protect ourselves. And these veils, these mechanisms, these devices end up covering our eyes from seeing reality and what is true. And oftentimes, they harden our hearts and they keep us in bondage. And they inhibit us from being transformed and changed. We all hide the incomplete things about us. The things that we most deeply wish were different about us. The things that we feel scared about that we don't necessarily articulate. The things that we feel shame about that nobody else knows about and we hide. Why do I overwork? Why do I, why do I struggle with that? Is it just the, ac- the outward activity that is sin against my family? Yes, that's a real thing. But what's actually happening in the heart? What's actually going on underneath the surface? What am I actually failing to believe about, as Colin said, my identity in Christ? Because deep down, all too often, if I could just be honest and transparent, I believe this deep-seated lie that if I don't perform, if I don't, if I don't continue perpetually to work, this is, this is the thing that's so deep in there, I, it's hard to even put words to, the lie is that I won't actually really be loved by people. And so my performance becomes a way to gain acceptance and to gain love from people around me. And it's such a deep-seated idol that it will manifest and it will act out even at the expense of the very people I love the most and want to receive love from the most. Some of us have a veil of intellect. Why does she have to be the smartest person in the room? Maybe she's scared of of not having a sense of worth. Maybe that intellect for her gives her a sense of worth that people would affirm her and people would think highly of her and, and ascribe worth and value to her life. Some of us struggle with the veil of alcohol or some kind of addiction. Why does he continually drink? I had a friend in high school who went to parties and I asked him one time, why do you always get plastered at parties? And he was insecure about his ability to interact socially and when he drank, he felt like people liked him and he felt like he was funnier and he felt like he could connect with others more. And so it eased the stress in his heart that he was feeling socially. He wanted to be liked by people and alcohol became a vehicle at his expense, at the expense of others. Sin idols. Some of us struggle with a veil of control. Why does she have to be in control in every situation? Maybe she's scared of being harmed. Maybe she's been harmed her entire life by people, by words or by actions or, or physically. And so control is a way of, of, of trying to make sure that she can't get hurt. Some of us struggle with the veil of image. Why is he so concerned about how he looks all the time? Why does he have to come across and his image be pristine? 
I love how Dashboard Confessional uh, says it in one of their songs, buried deep as you can dig inside yourself and covered with a perfect shell, such a charming, beautiful exterior, laced with brilliant smiles and shining eyes and perfect makeup, but you're barely scraping by. You're barely scraping by. This is one time that you can't fake it hard enough to please everyone or anyone at all, and the grave that you refuse to leave, the refuge that you've built to flee, the places that you've come to fear the most, is the places that you've come to fear the most. Some of us have a veil of words. Why does she continually hurt people with her words? Maybe she's fearful of rejection and she doesn't want to get too close to people. And so words become a way to keep people at bay so that she can't possibly become intimate and then potentially get hurt. I don't know what the veil is in your life this morning, but I know it's likely that you have one. And I know it's likely that underneath that veil, there is some deep heart work that the Lord wants to work out so that he can change you from the inside out. And often like Israel, the veils that we hope will protect us from dangers of being exposed are the very things that inhibit us from experiencing lasting transformation. Veils perpetuate this lie that we have it all together which makes us in a way self-righteous. This is what Israel was struggling with. Their veil, in a way, was a veil of religion. It's tragic to see uh, believers in churches sometimes struggling with this. And it's like, as long as we have the most right theology, then we can hide behind that and not actually have to deal with what's going on in the heart. I had a friend recently who was struggling with some deep stuff, and he was part of a church. And I pray that this isn't the story of downtown hope, but he was not safe to share what he was really struggling with because there was such a judgment around this area of sin that they were processing. The question is, are we, are we just going to be a church where this is it? I mean, is it just going to be a screen on a TV or a computer on a Sunday morning and that's church for us? Or in this next season, Downtown Hope, are we going to plunge deep into the beautiful, powerful words of this passage and this scripture that we would be utterly transformed by the living God? And this is where Paul brings us to the most painful reality of this journey and process of transformation. What happens, what has to happen first before any change can happen? If you have a mask over your face, if you have a veil over your face. Class, what is the thing that has to happen to see behind the veil, behind the mask? Yeah. It has to come off. It has to be removed. That's why verse 18 is so powerful. We all with unveiled face It's an incredible picture. The veil has to be removed. We have to come to the place where we are willing to be naked and vulnerable and honest about the deepest things in our lives and stop walking around like we have it all together because that's not what this book is about and that's not what the gospel is about. The question is, 
how does the veil come off? Because if, if you haven't had the power to admit there's things behind the veil that need to be brought out, if you're not willing to be honest about that, then you're not going to naturally, by your own strength and your own power, just say, well, it's time to take the veil off. And sometimes this happens through really painful experience. It's not, it's not the ideal situation, but life gets hard enough, a relationship gets painful enough, some area of sin comes to the surface that creates enough pain that you're brought to your end. The Lord uses that to bring you to your end. I love how Alcoholics Anonymous say it in the first step. They say, and, and, and I, you can fill in the blank with this with your veil, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol. We admitted we were powerless over blank, that our lives had become unmanageable. And this is difficult. And, and there's a loss here because for some of us, the veils that we have had up our entire lives have become our companions and they become our friends and they become our comfort zones. And to think about losing those things, to think about losing that relationship, to think about uh, losing that device, to think about that veil coming down is a really scary thing because it means you will be naked and being naked means you're vulnerable. It means you're open to harm. It means you're open to ridicule. And so how do we have hope that the veils of our lives can actually be removed? I love what Paul says in verse 14 because it gives us incredible hope. Only, Paul says, through Christ is the veil taken away. Only through Christ is the veil taken away. You cannot remove the veil yourself. Another human being can't remove the veil for you. The thing that has to happen in your life on such a deep root level is that the living, resurrected Christ has to enter into your story and remove that veil. And you say, well, how does that happen? And the answer to that question it's so beautiful, and we see it displayed on the cross because in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, as Jesus Christ is being crucified, as he is laying his life down in love for the sin and the sin underneath of the sin and all the veils that we cover up and all the things behind the veils, as he is absorbing that, all of that on himself, on the cross, in love for us, we find something profound happens. And behold, Matthew 27, 51 says, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The very curtain that separated the nation of Israel from the very presence of God is ripped apart. The veil, in a way, as it were, were was torn in two by the death of Christ on the cross. Jesus himself, the power that came out of the cross, literally rips the veil. And it opens up an opportunity, it opens up the doorway for humanity, for people to come into the presence of God, naked, vulnerable, open as sinners, and to receive forgiveness and grace and security and righteousness, as Colin said, a gospel identity where we are rooted in the love and the forgiveness of what Christ has poured out for us. 
He takes his sin upon our, our lives. He takes everything behind the veil upon himself that we might be able, and he takes the veil away that we might be able to live and be before him and before one another in this open, naked way. And so Paul can write, when we turn to the Lord, the veil is removed, verse 16. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. We can now turn to the Lord and not be destroyed, but we can turn to the Lord and be received and loved and accepted because the veil has been lifted by Christ. And to the extent that we understand this in our heart of hearts, to the extent that we see and experience and know the deep, profound love of God, we see ourselves there in another uh, imagery of a veil as Christ, as our true husband, who comes to us, who removes the veil, that we might enter into a marriage with him, that we might enter into a covenant with him. And this is a good working definition of what salvation is. Going to church, watching a, a, a church gathering online, coming to the field on a Saturday night, growing up in the church does not make you a Christian. It doesn't make you a new creation. What makes you a new creation is when Christ enters into your life and does a work where you are literally, the, the word is converted. It's a, I know it's an overused word, but if you think about it, from all the old things that your life used to revolve around and all the things, all the devices, they are thrown to the side and your heart is tethered and reconnected with your Father in heaven through the Son. And so how can we be an unveiled people? How can we live naked before God and one another? And this is where it gets really practical and exciting for us in this next season. And we are gonna begin living this out. And it's not the only way we do this. We do this in every aspect of our church because discipleship is corporate and collective and holistic, and it's all, but it can also happen in small bands of three or four men or women, small groups of men and women who are connecting together regularly who are asking this question, who are getting together and saying, listen, what are the areas in your life where you're veiling things? What's the sin? What's the struggle? What's the area of development? Let's identify this. Let's talk about this. And let's not just stay there on the surface, but let's get to the root and understand what's happening in the heart that's driving this behavior. We have uh, on the website here on the link, and you can also um, find this. Uh, we have cards for print. We'll have them on the Saturday evening uh, at the hospitality tent on Saturday evenings, a little card, and this card is a guide. It's a guide. It's not a law. It's a guide that will help us as a church as we walk through this process of transformation that fuels out of the grace of the gospel. We want to, as we gather together as men and women, and the guide will help with this, we want to ask the question, how is the Lord speaking to our lives? How are we abiding in him through the word and prayer? The daily is a great resource to do that, and when we come together, we want to get a window into that. We want to encourage one another in that. And then we do, as I just mentioned, we want to ask that question, what is the area of unhealthy fruit in our lives? Where are the veils in our lives? Where are the things that we need to be honest about? And then we're going to go down to the heart and down to the roots. We're going to say, where is this coming from? Joey, why are you addicted to work? What is going on there? What is the lie that you're believing? What is the thing that you're so deeply struggling with? And this is the first step in the process to real, lasting, meaningful change. The veil has to come off, and we have to be naked. I want to leave us with that this morning. I want to invite the musicians to come back up. Next Sunday, next week, David is going to be talking about the next part of verse 18, that as we behold the glory 
of the Lord. It's another way of talking about the preciousness and the beauty of the gospel, of how our hearts in that vulnerable place at the root level where we're struggling start to get worked out as the gospel gets applied and spoken into our deepest pains and our deepest wounds. So I'd love to pray for us in this moment as we prepare to come to this, to partake in this meal together, that the Lord would meet you wherever you're watching this this morning and you would turn to him, perhaps for the first time, perhaps for a new time, and that the veils would fall and you would be found naked before him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you that you can be trusted with the most tender and the most sensitive areas of our lives. The deepest areas of sin, the deepest areas where we are so desperate to be changed by you. Lord, I'm thinking about our precious body spread out across this area in this season. And you know what each woman, what each man, what each couple, what each child, what each teenager is in need of. You know the veils in our lives, they're not hidden to you. And we're asking that you would do a work in us so deep that we would experience and know your love. And that love would secure us in such a way and you would graciously, though painfully at times, surgically remove that veil, remove these veils. We want to be a people that live open, naked before you, vulnerable, available, tender, that your Holy Spirit might come and heal us and restore us and transform us from the inside out. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.